Hello. So for this week, we have two more mythological creatures, one of which, and the first, really has no meaning to me personally whatsoever. So I actually had to do some research on this one. It was actually a character in a movie in the 80s, and it is Fulcor from the 1980s movies, The NeverEnding Story. There were three movies, three separate puppets made for the movie. And this one was asked of me to do as one of the creatures this week. So, Fulcor is this wise creature. He's a luck dragon in the never-ending story. And he is about 43 feet long. He's albino, so obviously he has light white fur. And he has <clears throat> pink and white scales. He also has ruby-colored eyes, which sometimes are seen as deep brown or oak. Now, Fulker has no habitat because he's known for basically being a traveler of spreading hope and wisdom and joy to people in uh, in this world within the movie to help people who are in despair. So he loves being with other people, and that is sort of what he is known for. He's known for always being with other people. So he's known for being an heroic dragon, but he's considered a luck dragon, and he's from the world of Fantasia, for those of you who don't know. So during the movie, he helps the main character. He makes friends with him when he saves him from the nothing's destruction. And the nothing was created out of, it sort of takes control and feeds off of the sadness and loss of hope of the other characters or creatures in this land of uh, of Fantasia. And he slowly but surely takes over Fantasia. So the whole idea is for, and I'm going to butcher this because I don't remember the character's name, but Atreyu, he saves Atreyu and helps him bring him to the is it the crystal towers power what is it I'm trying to think of what it was called um trying to remember what it was called the kind of towers they were but they have to go almost 10,000 miles across the land of Fantasia to make it to these towers to meet up with the oracle as well as Bastion, I believe it is, to the Ivory Tower, sorry, um, in order to save Fantasia from the nothing. And in doing so, Fulker loses Atreyu. I'm probably butchering that name. And he takes on the task of getting to the Ivory Towers, but he actually meets up with Atreyu in the end, and he stays behind as Atreyu goes on. So they make it seem as though 
Volker dies after the first movie, but you don't actually see it because they know that if Atreyu goes on to the Ivory Towers without Volker, then the nothing could come. And if the nothing comes and wreaks or tries to wreak havoc one last time, then Falkor wouldn't make it. So Falkor tells him to go ahead, and he does. So we're under the impression as viewers that he doesn't make it. But even in the German movie, version of the movie, you never actually see him pass away. But in the end, they do save, they, they do end up saving and bringing everything back to life in Fantasia, which is kind of cool. Now, what I found more interesting because it's more interesting. <laughs> if we go back to the actual movie like itself and how it was made, it's interesting because there's a lot of neat little facts that happened with Falkor and the puppets that were made for him. So let's see here. So Falkor has been tried to be replicated by people over CGI and computer graphics. But the fans are so adamant on him looking like the original one from the first movie that he's never been accepted into newer movies, so to speak. But he did change over the next two movies, in the second and the third. In 1990, there was a Falkor made out of the original design, but they were slightly altered, so... Because the original Falkor was put in a museum in the Bavaria Filmstadt Museum in 1985, along with other props from the movie from 84, um, they couldn't use them. So they had to recreate them and they had a really hard time doing that. And the people were not pleased by it. But then it comes to the never ending story three that came out in 94 and it changed again and they were totally criticized for how they butchered it in their opinion because they said even his actual personality changed and it was a huge thing for people that he be the original so the original one was not really taken care of which is kind of sad and he's still in the bavaria movie studios museum and you can go there but unfortunately he was cut in half because of his um, electronics inside of him to keep him from overheating. And plus they wanted to be able to sort of show off to people at that time how animatronics and how they were made at that time. But sadly, like he has cords hanging from his neck, which they claim were used during the actual use of him and how they used puppets back then. But it makes him look really ragged. You know, he has um, parts on him that have yellowed that are uh, rotting away and mold on them. So it's kind of sad. But that one's in a pretty bad state. The second one, what happened to it? In the second one, they tried to, they were going to try to put him back together, but the original fur was so mad at long and it was so terrible. Like he was, he actually, because they removed his electronics entirely, he collapsed in on himself. So he was totally destroyed, the second one. And the sec, sorry, the third one, because they were actually 43 foot long. So it's kind of cool that they were the actual size, but they tried to do a total restoration of him 
And when they did, it was hard because there are different regulations, right? So where they used certain products like clays and casting molds, they had to switch it to forms of plastic, that kind of thing. And the scales were like different as teeth had to be made a certain way so they weren't as soft like as general looking as him and same with um his claws even because they were made out of clay and rock they had to then change them to plastic it was really sad so the only thing that stayed the same from his original parts is his pearl plated eyes and just the base of his head everything else basically the same but you can go to the bavaria studios and do sort of like um like a blue screen or a green screen sort of attraction he's one of the main famous attractions there since 1985 and people go in front of this blue screen or green screen and make it look like they're riding him like the luck dragon so it's kind of sad actually the second creature i wanted to talk to you guys about is a werewolf or the lichen and this was really fascinating that i had no clue about a lot of this but originally the werewolf was seen to have been found in the epic of gilgamesh around 2100 bc but it actually first appeared in ancient Greece and Rome in ethnographic, poetic, and philosophical texts. So they talked about um, they talked about about 425 BC. Herodotus, I know I said that wrong, described the Nuri, a nomadic tribe of magical men who changed into wolf shapes for several days of the year. Now, the Nuri were from Scythia, that is now part of Russia, actually, and they used wolf skin for warmth. So it's actually possible that because of their transformation and the language change, we took it as them becoming wolves, men becoming wolves, hence werewolves, lichens. But it meant actually that they were just wearing these outfits for warmth, which we know of a lot of different European places did this. The Norse did it as well with the berserkers, hence where the word berserk came from. They would wear bear and wolf skins over their heads. They'd be the first men to jump off the boat in raiding a new land or whatever a place and they jump off and just no armor no swords no axes nothing to have of protection they just go flying acting like crazy men on adrenaline running at the opposing people and a lot of times they would run away because they think the people were so crazy these crazy norsemen or Northmen, that they would just take off running because they would think, oh, no, I'm not dealing with that. These people are like that. So it's kind of cool that they fit into this scenario. Now, it became integrated into the local history of Arcadia in Greece because Zeus was worshipped as a Lycian wolf, which is a wolf, which means wolf Zeus. So in 380 BC, Plato told a story in the Republic about a protector turned tyrant of the shrine of Lycian or Lycian Zeus. So the story of Socrates remarks in this passage, the story goes that he who tastes of the one bit 
of human entrails minced up with those of other victims is inevitably transformed into a wolf. So, they believe that cult members mixed human flesh into their ritual sacrifice to Zeus. Pliny the Elder and Pausanias, they have a discussion about the participation of a young athlete, Demarcus, of the Arcadian sacrifice of an adolescent boy. So when he was compelled to taste the entrails of the young boy, he was then transformed into a wolf for nine years. Interesting, right? Nine, that magical number that falls into itself. So now they found out recently that evidence suggests archaeologically the human sacrifice may have been practiced at the site. So that is kind of cool. Now, Plato also says that the protector turned tyrant could be known as mythical mythical king, sorry, Lycaon, expanded further in Latin texts, most notably Hyginus, Fabulae, and Ovid's Metamorphosis. So the story contains all the elements of a modern werewolf tale, immoral behavior, murder, and cannibalism. So the sons of Lycaon sacrificed their younger brother to prove Zeus's weakness. They served the corpse as a pseudo-feast and attempting to trick the god into eating it. Zeus, furious, slayed the sons with a lightning bolt and transformed their father into a wolf. Now, in Ovid's virgin, version, not virgin, Lycon murdered and mutilated and protected hostage of Zeus, but suffered the same consequences. So, Ovid's passage is one of the only old sources that go that much into detail about the actual transformation itself. And he uses more of the behavior of the physical manipulation of how the body changes more into it. So this is part of what it says. He tried to speak, but his voice broke into an echoing howl. His ravening soul infected his jaws. His murderous longings were turned on the cattle. He still was possessed by bloodlust. His garments were changed to a shaggy coat and his arms into legs. He was now transformed into a wolf. So this is where we originally feel like the werewolf came from in the sense of where the man turned in the same way that we look at it in movies today. The part of this story that gets a little sad is that there's been a link biologically and psychologically between then, obviously, and now in the 20th century, and they try to sort of pin it up against minority groups, in a sense, and saying that it's immoral because we would have, say, um, instead of mythological kings, we would have law enforcement, right? And... It's about trying to find cures for things like being homosexual or for criminal criminality and violence, which is really sad, and about bigotry and fear. And it was a way to try to scare people that were HIV infected when it was sort of in its height in the 1980s. And, um, and it was really sad that they would do that that they would sort of use something that has a lot of really cool, fascinating history and then try to swing it into something to create what is natural in man to be something that is considered wrong by 
by basically people who are ignorant and don't know better. But those are your two mythological creatures for the week. Make sure you check out the blog as Aries is now on and you can learn about Aries and the planet as well as the tarot association, the mythological stories, of course, going on in depth again along Hercules' 12 ventures around the Zodiac and his different tales that he has. And yeah, I'll see you guys next week. Take care.